0: Chapter 16, verse 1. When they journeyed from Elim, the entire company of the Israelites came to the desert of Sin. Now, that's just phonetically coincidental. <laughs> that does not mean this is the desert where they sin or that sin thrives here. It's kind of like S-U-N and S-O-N are pronounced exactly the same but mean two different things. So it's coincidence. They came to the desert of Sin, or some translations will say Zin, Zin which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their exodus from the land of Egypt. The entire company of the Israelites murmured against Moses and Aaron in the desert. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the desert to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. Now that's just downright mean. It would have been better for God to kill us in those judgments back in Egypt than it would to be out here with you, Moses and Aaron and Yahweh, now. Can you imagine if your spouse said that to you? It would have been better for me to die in a car accident with my friend than to be married to you right now. That's basically what they're saying. Because back in Egypt, we sat around pots of meat. Okay, listen, the wealthiest person in the ancient world did not sit around pots of meat. It's kind of like the good old days are always like good old days. The past is always golden, okay? It's, it was always better back then, but it's not true. It's not true. You have brought us here only to kill us. Now, this is three incredibly harsh insults that so if you said this to your spouse... It would have been better for me to die in a car accident to be here with you now, married to you. My life was better before I ever married you. And you only married me in order to kill me. That's basically what they're accusing Moses and Aaron and God of doing. Now, they don't go directly to God because it's kind of hard to go to God when you can't see Him. And talking the pillar of fire and threatening Him isn't kind of empty. And there may be a little bit of fear there, too. So they go to Moses and Aaron. And they accuse them of this. This is their heart attitude. This is their heart attitude. Now, I know that most of us have probably never said anything like that to God. But if you think about it, somewhere in your heart you have. Because there's probably been moments where you could say, how could you, God? Or if you really love me, why is this happening to me? Why did you let this happen? It's a little nicer way of putting it, but it's kind of the same accusation. Maybe your heart is not as poisoned against him as it is here, but you're kind of saying the same thing. I know you died on the cross for me, and you promised an unconditional covenant that I will never be abandoned, and you faithfully provided for me so many times, emotionally, financially, relationally, and all these kinds of ways, but how could you do this to me now? Or where are you? And that's what they're accusing God of. Verse 4, Then Yahweh said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people will go out and gather the amount each day, so that I may test them. Will they walk in my law or not? On the sixth day they will prepare what they bring in, and it will be twice as much as what they gather every other day. So they know now that God can provide water for them, but the question is, can he really provide food for us? So God says, I'm going to rain down bread. Now notice that he calls it bread. He calls it bread. It's not a question of what it is. The later they're going to call it manna, which means what is it? But they know exactly what it is. It's bread. He says bread. In fact, never once does God ever call this manna. (coughs) Never does Moses ever call it manna. There's only a couple times in Deuteronomy chapter 2 where Moses calls it manna, and it's because he's retelling their history, and he's quoting what they called it. But every single time Moses and God are talking about it, it's always bread. It's always bread. I'm going to rain down bread for you. You're to gather enough for each day, but on the sixth day, you're going to gather twice as much because they're not going to be allowed to collect it on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites in the evening, you will know that Yahweh has brought you out of the land of Egypt. So notice it says already again, the second time that he's doing this to test them. And Moses immediately starts the conversation with saying, so you will know that God is who brought you out of Egypt, is capable of doing this as well. Notice that God is not angry. He's not punishing them. There's no wrath. There's no bitterness. He's lovingly providing for them. Verse 7, And in the morning you will see the glory of Yahweh, because he has heard your murmurings against Yahweh. As for us, what are we that you should murmur against us? So Moses kind of ends that with like, And what did we ever do to you that you're complaining? (laughs) Got to get that one in there. Moses said, you will know this. When Yahweh gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread in the morning to satisfy you, because Yahweh has heard your murmurings, that you are murmuring against him, as for us, you are, um, well, are we. Your murmurings are against us, but against Yahweh. Seven times he mentions their complaining. That repetition over and over again emphasizes the real issue. And notice he says, you may be complaining about us, but your complaint is really against Yahweh. Or just his representatives. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're not complaining against God by complaining against his leaders. Because that's what you're really doing. And so he says, in the, in the evening we're going to give you meat, in the morning you are going to give you bread. Then Moses said to Aaron, Tell the whole community of the Israelites, Come before Yahweh, because he has heard your murmurings. So then he goes to the people, and he repeats all the instructions to them. And the command, and it says that God told them that he are, they're only allowed to collect on the first six days, but they're not allowed to collect on the seventh, because this is going to be a test of whether they're listening to him or not. Can you, re, can you pay attention to the directions on the test, so to speak? In the evening, verse 13, the quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning a layer of dew was on around the camp. And when the layer of dew had evaporated, there on the surface of the desert was a thin flaky substance, thin like frost on the earth. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Because they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that Yahweh has given you for food. He provides them in the evening quail. Now you have to remember, there's at least 28 to 70,000 people. And if you take the traditional numbers, that's actually two million, this is a whole lot of quail. And quail are small little pheasant-like birds. And what's interesting is that these quail fly really low. They're known to flying really low in large, massive groups. They come up from Africa. And they move across the land. And shepherd boys are known to actually, these birds are so low flying. And they fly in such a dense group. And they're so dumb that you can actually watch shepherd boys take sticks and just whack at them in the air. And they'll fall to the ground. So now imagine this. Every single evening this flock of birds are coming over. And thousands of people are just hitting these things with sticks as they're dropping down the ground. Either that or they're having a spontaneous mass heart attack. <laughs> and so they drop down to the ground, and it provides them food. Which means they do have to work at it a little bit, because they have to whack at it, and they have to pluck it, and it's not like chicken nuggets are just falling out of the sky. <laughs> this is way healthier, though. Um, and then every morning, the dew appears, and there's bread there. Now, part of the reason they're calling it, what is it? And manna is actually a shortened version of just what. Okay? It's like texting. You can't even get the full sentence out anymore. And so they call it what? And that's what manna is. Part of it is they've never seen bread like this. I mean, when was the last time you saw bread just appearing out of the dew? And it's flaky. Like a coriander. And we're going to be told later that it actually has a honey taste to it. So it's like these honey wafers that they're just picking up off the ground. Now, part of it, what's interesting is that this is bread. This is good bread. This is basically like cookies. God is providing them Girl Scout cookies, except they're (laughs) healthy. You don't have to feel guilty. But the other thing that's interesting is honey is incredibly rare and expensive in the ancient world. I mean, it's expensive even today, raw honey, let alone back then that requires a lot more processing and no factories and machines and that kind of stuff. And you're in the middle of the desert. And so the idea is that God is not just giving them bread and meeting their needs. He's giving them the best. He's giving them something sweet. He's getting them something that the other people around the world will not get, or they will pay top dollar to get this kind of a bread. And it's just appearing for them to them on the ground. And, and quail is a good meat, too. I've never actually personally had that, but I've heard people say it is good. Okay, So the reality is providing them variety. He's providing and eating meat, too. Usually you only eat meat like six, seven times a year during festivals and sacrifices. Not like we do today. And he's going to provide this for them every single day for the next 40 years. Now, it should have only been two, But because they're going to disobey him in Numbers 13, it's going to end up being another 38 years. But still, he's going to provide it for them for 40 years, every single day, except for the Sabbath. And what makes this even more amazing is that 38 of those years was a blatant disobedience to God, where they're going to be punished and have to wander in the wilderness, and they're going to die in the wilderness, and he still provides it for them. And this is what he's providing a really good tasting meat, and really good bread, and they will do far less work in the ancient world because normally you have to kill it, you have to catch it, and kill it, and clean it, and especially with the bread, you have to harvest it, and cut it, and grind it, and thresh it, and winnow it, and then bake in the flour, and cut the firewood in order to get the oven hot enough, and and it's all gone. It's all gone. He's providing this for them. Verse 16, this is what Yahweh has commanded. Each person is to gather from what it, that he can eat, an omer. Each person according to the number of your people, each will pick up for whoever lives in this tent. And the Israelites did so, and they gathered some more, some less. And when they measured with an omer, and one who gathered much had nothing left over, and the one who gathered little lacked nothing. Each one had gathered what he could eat. The point is, is that they're getting exactly what they need. No, they don't have leftovers and they don't have too little. God tells them exactly how much they gather and they have exactly what they need. And then on the sixth day, they gather twice as much and it lasts enough for two days. And here's what's cool about it. If they actually disobeyed God, though, and got greedy and collected more, it says that the bread began to rot by the next day and was covered in maggots and the meat stuff. Now, Even for non-preservatives and no refrigerator, that's fast rotting of bread. But that's the idea that this is all supernatural. Their greed, God will not reward their greed. This isn't you just getting greedy at the grocery store. This is you getting greedy with the blessings of God. And he will not allow you to get greedy with his blessings. And so they fail that test. And he doesn't allow them to, to benefit from it. Yet... This bread cannot survive more than 24 hours. Yet on the Sabbath, it survives 48 hours. And all this points to the direct involvement of God in taking care of their needs, giving them exactly what they need. So verse 32, Moses said, This is what Yahweh has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for generations to come, so that they may see the food that I fed you in the desert. And when I brought you up from the land of Egypt, Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer full of manna and place it before Yahweh to be kept for generations to come. Just as Yahweh commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony for safekeeping. Basically what he says is this, is I want you to collect a jar, and you're going to fill that with a jar, and that manna is going to last and stay fresh pretty much for a long time, years upon years upon years. And They're told to put up next to the testimony. The testimony will eventually be the tabernacle and the table of um, the Ten Commandments. Okay, so they don't that's not built yet, so where they're keeping it now we don't know, but eventually they'll put it next to that, and eventually it'll be put inside the Ark of the Covenant. That's what they'll they'll do. And it's supposed to be a constant reminder of the provision of God. Verse thirty five. Now the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to the land that was inhabited. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an Omer is one-tenth of an ephah. This is a little jar. So basically he ends it with saying God provided for their needs. God provided for their needs. So over and over again, this isn't God just providing for them. This is God, a gracious, loving Father on Christmas Day, going over and beyond and providing for them because he loves them. And he wants them to have the best. Now, two incidences, two incidences, other than the exodus and all that. He has miraculously provided for their needs, the water and the bread and the meat.